Welcome to another episode of Berean's Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. Good morning, Faith Family. Who's ready for a new series? You ready for this? All right. Turning your Bibles to the book of Galatians. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So you're like, what? Revelation chapter one. Revelation chapter one. If you're turning your Bibles, we're starting a a new series today uh, called Victorious. And uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation over the next few weeks. And as, as most of you know, the book of Revelation is one of the most fascinating books in the Bible. It's also one of the most confusing books uh, in the Bible. It's been said that uh, people in the church want to hear the book of Revelation taught the most because they don't understand it. And yet pastors want to teach on Revelation the least because they don't understand it either, Right. <laughs> But we are not afraid here. We believe that all of God's Word is God's Word. And uh, we believe that all of it is profitable. And so the next few weeks, we're going to, um, to tackle this book. And I am, I am excited about what God is going to teach us and do in our life. Uh, there's already just an excitement in talking with people uh, even after uh, today. And what I'm going to do is, um, if you're new here, if this is kind of your first time and, or, or you've never uh, been here when we've launched a, a new series, particularly on a book of the Bible it's not uncommon for me to do an introduction message, and, and it's even more so it's important for the book of Revelation because it can be uh, confusing. And so I need grace. Will you give me some grace today? Um, I'm going to be a little more technical than practical. I'm going to be a little more teaching than preaching. Oh, don't worry. The preacher will come out. Um, but uh, we work hard here to make these messages applicable to life. We just came off of a series called Traveling Light that was one of the most impactful, practical uh, series we've done. And, and I don't want you to have like whiplash this morning, okay? The book of Revelation is going to be very, very practical. But because it can be somewhat difficult to understand, I need to set it up today, and it will help us in the weeks to come. So will you just kind of give me that grace? Let me teach a little. Let me be technical a little. And don't assume that it's going to be this way every single week. Are you with me? All right. So Revelation chapter 1, if you're able to stand, please do so. As we honor the reading of God's Word, Revelation chapter 1, let's read down through verse 8 here as we intro this book. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servant the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near." John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are before his throne, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us, has freed us from our sins by his blood, made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is God's Word. Faith family, pray for me, will you? And let's pray together and ask God to teach us uh, from His Word today. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. What a joy it is to, to gather um, as a faith family. Now to hear your word, uh, not to hear a guy talk, but to hear your word. I believe, God, that uh, when we open up uh, your word, you speak to us. And pray that you would help us understand uh, this book that you've given us um, and how it relates to our life and that you would, Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, just teach us through this. And I pray this all to the glory of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if your childhood was anything like mine, you probably heard stories from the popular children's collection known as Aesop's Fables. Uh, you probably heard stories, you know, like the, the town mouse and the country mouse, or the, the tortoise and the hare, or the, uh, the goose that laid the golden egg, right? I uh, didn't know we were going to get really deep today, okay? There's probably one of the fables that everybody in this room has heard of. In fact, it's probably the most famous of them all, and it goes like this. There once was a shepherd boy who was bored as he sat on the hillside watching the village sheep. To amuse himself, he took a deep breath and yelled, wolf, wolf, there's a wolf chasing the sheep. The villagers came running up the hill to help the boy, but when they arrived, they found no wolf. The boy laughed at the sight of their angry faces. Don't cry wolf when there is no wolf, said the villagers, and they went grumbling back down the hill. Later, the boy shouted again, wolf, wolf, there's a wolf that's chasing the sheep. To his delight, he watched the villagers run up the hill. And when they saw no wolf, they said, save your song for when there's really something wrong. Don't cry wolf when there is no wolf. And the boy just grinned as they grumbled down the hill. Later, he saw a real wolf prowling about his flock. He leaped to his feet and cried, wolf, wolf. But the villagers didn't come. At sunset, everyone wondered why the shepherd boy hadn't returned. They went up the hill and found the boy weeping. I cried wolf and nobody came. And then an old man put his arm around the young boy and said, Son, nobody believes a liar even when he's telling the truth. My guess is that all of you in one way or another have experienced that proverbial crying of wolf. For some of you, it's politicians that just make promise after promise with no intent of actually doing anything, and so you just start tuning politics out. Maybe some of you, it's a parent, and they kept saying, yeah, sure, I'll play, sure, I'll play, but eventually you just stopped asking. 
or, or maybe for you, it was a, a boss that kept promising you, sure, I'll give you a promotion. Yeah, you'll get the promotion someday. And eventually you just started looking for a different job. Or maybe you were dating that person that said, one day I'll commit, one day I'll commit, but eventually you just moved on. All of us in one way or another have experienced that crying of wolf. You say, yeah, I understand, pastor, but what in the world does this have to do with the book of Revelation? Faith family, you need to understand at the outset here that I believe for far too long the church and preachers in particularly have used the book of Revelation for one primary purpose, to cry wolf. The end is near. The end is near. Everybody run. Get your bottles of water and get to your underground bunkers and don't forget to make your videotapes for all your family members who might be, you know, left behind. And promises get made and predictions are given and guarantees are assured and nothing happens. And as someone who has studied church history, let me tell you, this has been going on for 2,000 years. You can go back to the second century to a man by the name of Montanus. He used the book of Revelation to argue for the second coming happening at any moment. In the third century, a man by the name of Novation used the book of Revelation to manipulate people into thinking that the destruction of the world was about to happen at any moment. In the fourth century, a man by the name of Dantinus, he did the exact same thing. In the fifth century, when Rome was sacked by the Vandals, uh, everybody believed it was the end of the world as we know it, Q-R-E-M. On New Year's Eve, 999, Pope Sylvester II had people rioting in the streets, convinced it was the end. He had St. Peter's Basilica filled with people for a midnight mass, thinking the time was at hand. It happened in 1100 and 1200 and in 1245. And in the mid-1300s, when the Black Death killed millions of people, everybody was convinced it was the fulfillment of the apocalypse. The Hundred Year War in the 15th century, people assumed was the fulfillment of the Battle of Armageddon. In the 16th century, Martin Luther thought the Pope was the fulfillment of the Antichrist. And if you come to modern days, just for the sake of time, Hal Lindsey, 1976, wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth, where he was convinced this would be the generation where the book of Revelation would be fulfilled. Regional Duncan said it was 1979. Michael Dole said it was 1988 because evidently they discovered a computer in Belgium called the Beast. Edgar Wisenot gave us 88 reasons why Jesus was coming in 1988. Harold Camping said it was 1992. Just kidding, 1994. Just kidding, year 2000. And yet, for whatever reason, and yet I cannot understand why people will run today to the headline news to see if a red heifer was born last night. And to the latest prophecy conference to hear another self-proclaimed expert, usually in a leisure suit, get paid big money to do what people have been doing for 2,000 years, cry wolf. And you wonder why nobody listens anymore. It is not my intent this morning to be mean, but rest assured it is my intent to make a point. 
As the pastor who has been entrusted to shepherd this body in the Word of God, let me tell you that when you approach the book of Revelation to try to predict the end times, you end up like you're using a fly swatter to hammer a nail, frustrated and looking like an idiot. Because it's not the purpose of the book. Much to some of your disappointments, let me be clear, over the next few weeks, it is my intent to preach this book for the purpose that was actually given, and that is not to cry wolf, and it is not to predict the end, it's to make sure you get to the end. It's to make sure that you persevere in your faith. It is to remind you of the victory that is already yours in Christ, so don't you dare give up. It is to stir your heart's affections for the one who is worthy of praise. And it is to remind you that no matter how hard this road of life gets, if you belong to Jesus, it's got a good, good end. That's why God gave the book of Revelation. And so what I want to do today is just introduce you to this book because there are some things that you need to understand as you approach it that will help you so that you don't have to be intimidated by it. It's like if you've ever put together a puzzle, did any of you do jigsaw puzzles? You know that sometimes if you just kind of put together the outer edges, it helps the middle become a lot easier. And that's what I want to do. I want to just kind of give you four edges, if you will, that will help you as you approach this book. Number one, we need to understand at the very beginning, and by the way, all of this is going to be shown from the text. I am still preaching the Bible here. The Bible here in Revelation tells us that the book was intended to be known. The book of Revelation is intended to be known because, listen, some, of you've, uh, some people have already come up to me like this, and they're like, when you said a few weeks ago we were doing the book of Revelation, I immediately zoned out. Like, oh, here we go again. I, I'm intimidated by it. I'm just an average Christian. Listen, God gave us the book for you to know. Look, look at verse 1. The, say it. Revelation. Now stop right there. You're like, if we go at this pace, we'll never finish. <laughs> that word revelation, apocalypsis in the Greek, it's where we get the English word apocalypse. It just means to reveal, to unveil. Meaning two words into the book, you get the fact that this book is intended to reveal something. It's intended for you to know it. Keep reading. Of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servant the things that must soon take place. He, say it, made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Look at verse 2. Who bore witness to the word of God. Look at verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it. In other words, you can't keep something that you don't understand. My point is, you're three verses in, and you already learned something about the book. You're intended to know it. You're intended to understand it. God's not trying to be mysterious or confusing. He's not playing a trick on you. This isn't some kind of mystical thing. There's not a code to break. There's not a secret sauce to figure out. God wants you, Christian, to know something. 
Like that ought to be encouraging for you. This book is intended for you to understand. Now, just because it's intended for you to understand doesn't mean that it's easy to understand. And in my experience, while there are a few different reasons for this, there are two primary reasons why at first the book is hard to understand. The first reason is this, is because you and I are not very familiar with this genre. By genre, I just mean the type of literature that it is. This isn't something in our culture that that we use as commonly as certainly was the case in John's. Um, For instance, you need to think about the Bible as like a library of books. And you know this, in the Bible, you've got poetry, and you've got wisdom, and you have story, and you have songs, and you have letters. There's all different kinds of literature or genre in the Bible. Here's my point, everybody right here. Um, If you treat them all the same, it will be confusing. Meaning, if you read Revelation the same way you read Romans, you're not going to understand it because it's a different kind of literature. Or if you're only used to a certain kind of literature and then you change, it's going to be difficult at first. If you're only really used to reading the Gospels, well then yeah, it's going to take you a little bit to kind of figure this out. Let me illustrate it this way. If you're like Pastor Terry and the only movies you ever watch are movies like The Notebook, (laughs) true story, then it's going to be really weird for you when you start watching The Lord of the Rings. And you got hobbits and dragons and wizards and well yeah, it's because all you're used to is romantic comedy. And so, of course, the Lord of the Rings is going to be weird at first, but the more you get used to it, the easier it will become. The original readers here were so familiar with this genre, they're not bothered at all with images like dragons, a lamb with seven horns, a beast coming out of the sea, a creature with seven eyes. That, that, that stuff's so common in apocalyptic genre. And apocalyptic genre was so common to them, it was easy for them to understand. So imagine this. Imagine I write you a letter um, that in our day there was a fight that broke out between an elephant and a donkey. (laughs) And you're like, what does that weird stuff mean? No, you'd be like, it would take me a second to figure that out. He's talking about a political fight between the Republicans and the Democrats, duh. Do you see what I'm trying to say? This imagery which is common in apocalyptic genre, was so familiar with John's readers, they understood it right away, just like you would understand that. So the problem is not with the book. The problem is just with us. We need to get more familiar with it. And as we do good news, you'll understand it. Another thing that's common in this genre quickly is chronology. In apocalyptic genre, uh, not just in Revelation, but in other types, it rarely follows any type of chronological order. And most people sadly assume that when you open the book. You think that it's all in chronological order, but the book never says that. In fact, the genre itself doesn't even call for that. Uh, what apocalyptic genre tends to do, and by the way, just drop that at parties to sound really smart. I've been reading apocalyptic genre. Right, anyways, uh, what apocalyptic genre does is think like football. It's football season, right? Who's excited? Okay, a few of you are. It's like apocalyptic genre wants to show you the game 
from the perspective of the field, the perspective of the stands, and the perspective of like the, the box seats. It's the same game repeated from different perspectives. And the book of Revelation is going to do that. It's going to repeat itself a lot. And if you're not familiar walking into it that, that that's the case, it's going to get confusing. It's like this. Right here, right here. You can't force jazz to fit the same rules as a country western tune. They're two different styles of music. In the same way, you can't force this book to be like everything else. That's when it gets misunderstood. As D.A. Carson says, this is absolutely right. The biggest mistake people make in biblical interpretation is the failure to recognize the genre of the book. You just jump right into the book, not understanding much about the genre, and it just starts getting really weird really quick. God gave us this book to know. The second main reason why it can be hard to understand is not only are we unfamiliar with the genre, but we're unfamiliar for the most part with the Old Testament. Now, yeah, we went to vacation Bible school. We've heard the story of David and Goliath, and we know that, you know, Jonah got swallowed by a big fish and all that. But I'm talking like we don't know the Old Testament the way John's readers or as well as they knew the Old Testament. Some of you do, but for a lot of us, we don't. And the reason I say that is because most of the imagery in the book of Revelation is actually going back to the Old Testament. Uh, John's going to be told to eat a scroll. That's Ezekiel. You're going to see plagues. That's Exodus. Let me give you one. Here's an example in Revelation 1.13. Look at it here. Uh, the midst of the lampstand, say this with me, one like a son of man. Now, we read that. We're, you know, Some of you are like, I don't understand what that means. What, what, what in the world is that? Well, the original readers would have been like, just like you were with the political cartoon, I know exactly what that is. That's Daniel 7, 13. Look at it. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one, say it, like a son of man. Do you see? Meaning when, when, you, when you get to, to, when you're more familiar with the Old Testament, particularly books like Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Revelation becomes easier. God gave you this book to know it. Don't you be intimidated by this. God gave you this for you to understand. And I'm going to make this promise to you as much as I can. I'm going to work really, really, really hard to make this book simple. Because I'm frustrated with people today that make the book of Revelation more confusing than they do clear when the book itself says you're to know this. The second thing we need to understand as we walk into this book is not only that it's intended to be known, but the book of Revelation is intended to be seen. The book of Revelation is intended to be seen. Again, I'm going to show you this from the text. Look at verse 1 of Revelation 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must take place, he made it known. Now, some of your translations may be different. This word or this phrase, made it known in the Greek, is actually where we get our word signify or signify, meaning that from the very beginning of this book, John is telling us that this book is meant to be seen. It's symbols. It, these are, are visuals. Um, how many of you like love picture books? How many of you like in school, you're like, I want the picture book? you know, scratch and sniff, you know, or whatever. Like, I don't want a book with words. I want pictures. How many of you show of hands, you're visual learners? 
Yeah, a lot of you are. That's why we use uh, visuals and stuff in our, our messages, because some of you learn that way. You're going to love the book of Revelation, because it's a picture book. It's about symbols. Um, now, I already know what some of you will say to me about this. Shockingly, no one has yet, but it's coming, and it'll be this. Pastor, you have to take the book of Revelation literally. Got to take it literally. And here's my response. You're absolutely right. You must take John literally when he tells you the book is symbolic. You'll get that later. I don't even mean that as a joke. I mean that seriously. The book itself is telling you this is meant to show. This is meant to signify. This is meant to signify. It's going to be pictures. Woohoo! <laughs> Literal events, yes. Literal people, yes. But portrayed symbolically. And you don't need a PhD in apocalyptic genre to see this. Look at verse 13. This is chapter 1. In the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair of his head were like white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. This is actually an image of Jesus. We'll look at it more next week. Now, is that how Jesus literally looks? Well, of course not. We all know he has blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> You've seen pictures, right? You've watched the Passion movie. Now, in all seriousness, you just read that and you know that's not what Jesus actually looks like. It's not meant to be literal. It's a literal Jesus with literal attributes that get described in symbols. It's just like if you write a letter to the woman you love, honey, your face is like the sun, your lips like wine. Your hair is like the flower after the morning rain. If that's literal, that's one funky looking woman. <laughs> like, that's awful. <laughs> but of course, you read that and you're like, num num, that's not literal. Of course not. That, that's a literal woman that I literally love that, that has literal attributes, but I'm describing it symbolically. And by the way, that doesn't mean that you get to make the symbols whatever you want to make them. That's what some of you will say. What if you take this symbolically? It just means whatever you want it to mean. Nonsense. The symbols still have a meaning and you need to get to that meaning. From this example, she has a radiant beauty. She has sweet lips. Her hair smells good. See, it's not that difficult to figure out, but it is symbolic. Why? Because the book of Revelation is intended for you to see, for you to visualize. Now, this symbolism is not just true. I'm almost done with the technical part. Sorry, nerds. Um, other of you are like, please move on to something practical. Symbolism in the book of Revelation is not just in images. It's also in numbers. This is really, really important right here. Numbers in the book of Revelation are not about math. Some of you are like, I didn't want to do math. Pictures. 
numbers are not about math, they're about meaning. This is a very important in apocalyptic genre. Numbers are about meaning, not math. For instance, one number that you're going to know if you know very much about the book of Revelation is the number seven. Seven is not about a literal number seven. It's about the number of completion. It's the meaning of fulfillment or completion or wholeness. Let me give you just one example of this. In verse 4, watch this. John to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. So there's the Father. From the seven spirits who are before the throne, there's the Spirit, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, there's the Son. In other words, and everybody takes it this way. That is a, a, uh, a description of the Trinity, Father, Spirit, Son, very easy. But did you notice how the Spirit was described? The seven spirits. Well, the imagery there is not that there are literally seven different spirits. It's not about math. It's about meaning. That is the, the fullness, the, the, the wholeness of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so, and I'll bring this some more examples as we go through this, but you just need to know it's not about math. It's about meaning. The same thing is like with the number 10. I feel like I'm on Sesame Street. The number 10, right? Or, or, or multiples of 10, like a thousand years. Or the number 12, or multiples of 12, like 24 elders, two 12s. Or 144,000, 12 12s, okay? So don't be overwhelmed by that. You're going to get used to it. You just need to know it's not about the math. It's about the meaning. So the book of Revelation, don't be intimidated, folks. God gave it for you to know. He's not playing a trick on you. This isn't mystical. He wants you to know something. But yeah, there's going to be some things that will have to get familiar to us. Secondly, he wants you to see it. We're going to have picture time. And there's going to be visuals and symbols that are going to help us understand. Number three is the book of Revelation is intended to be applied the book of Revelation is intended to be applied. And this is where if you zoned out on all the technical stuff, zone back in. This book is about your life. This book has everything to do with how you live Monday morning. Look, for instance, at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave to him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. In other words, this is a relevant book to John's audience. This is a relevant book to us, just like every other book in the Bible. Uh, look, for instance, in verse um, 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear. And everybody say this with me. Who keep what is written in it. In other words, you got to do something. You got to apply things. There are going to be things in this book that relate to your life. And I'm going to give you five main applications this book will give you, and I'll give them to you quickly. Number one is this. As we go through this book, this book is going to encourage you to faithful obedience faithful obedience. Hey, John's readers are taking it on the chin for Jesus. Rome at this time is seriously persecuting believers. They're marginalized. They're losing jobs. Their families are being torn apart. They are being, some of them are being physically tortured. 
And anytime that's the case, at any point in church history, it's been easy for Christians to throw in the towel and just say, forget this whole Jesus thing. And so one of the questions that's hovering over this book is, Christian, when times get hard and the heat gets turned up and life gets a little difficult, particularly if it's because of your faith, are you going to compromise or are you going to persevere in Christ? That's what this book is intended to do. Notice this uh, here on the screen. Revelation is not for Americans to fill out a prophecy chart. Revelation is for Christians in all ages to persevere in Christ. That's what this book is going to do. So if you're wavering in your faith, this book's going to say, wake up. Do you know what's at stake here? Do you realize how important this life is? Heaven and hell are real. The judgment of God on sin is real. How you live right now matters. Persevere. Be faithful to the one who is faithful to you. That's what this book is going to do. It's going to encourage you in that. It's also going to stir up in you fervent worship. Fervent worship. You're going to see images throughout this book of God's glory. Let me give you just one taste of that. Revelation 4 verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, seated on the throne, and worship him who lives forever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This book is going to stir up in you worship. And do you know why that's good? Because some of you, come on, be honest, your worship right now is a little stale. The affections for Jesus have grown cold. And do you know what you need? What you need is not a sermon of five steps to a better life. What you need is a vision of Jesus. Because when you see him in his glory, you're not going to care about the style of worship. You're just going to be mesmerized by the Savior. And there's going to be affection stirred in you that maybe you haven't felt in a while. I can't wait to see how your worship and my worship changes because of the book of Revelation. Thirdly, this book is going to give us fresh grace. Fresh grace. You see it there in verse 3, the blessed is the one. There's actually seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation. The point here is that God's not trying to confuse you. God wants to bless you with this book. How many of you just need a fresh taste of grace? You just need a blessing of God in your life. The book of Revelation is going to do that for you. Fourthly, in terms of application, it's going to remind us of our future hope. It's why we called this series Victorious. That in Christ, Christian, you are victorious. Any of y'all look around and it just feels like you're losing? Anybody watch the headline news and just feel like, is the kingdom of God really advancing at all? 
Because the problem is we base our realities on what we see. And the book of Revelation is going to show us there's actually a reality behind what you see. And you may think the kingdom of God is losing, but guess what? It already won. But you got to look behind the curtain. You've got to see behind the reality. And that's what Revelation's going to do. Here, here's the idea. Christian, you can't live based on the current headline news or you're going to go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Christian, you've got to live based on the promise of a new creation. You've got to know there's a reality behind reality. There's a true reality that you cannot see that God is doing and therein lies your hope. Because if the only hope we have is what we see in this world, then there is no hope at all. And in those moments when it's easy to lose that hope, the book of Revelation is going to kind of pull back the veil and you're going to see what reality really is. And it's going to encourage you that this hard road has a good, good end. You with me? And number five, the book in terms of application is going to focus us on the mission. This is such an important book for churches. In fact, the book is not written to individuals, it's written to churches. Seven of them are named. Uh, We'll see them in chapters two and three. They're mentioned here in chapter one. Uh, Of course, seven, again, is not uh, meant to be literal for seven. There were seven churches, but that seven is meant to be uh, uh, math or meaning. Which is it? Math or meaning? You passed. First day, you get an A. Yes. It's about the whole of the church, meaning seven churches represents issues that every church in every age has to deal with. Namely, listen, it's easy to be pulled away from the mission. It's easy to get all caught up in all these secondary things and forget you have a calling. We have a calling. And it ain't to play games, honey. It's to make disciples of all nations. And when things begin to seduce us as the church away from our mission, we need the book of Revelation to call us back to the call of God on our life. Are you with me? Meaning, this, uh, this is something I hope will be true, Revelation should not divide the church. Revelation should unite the church. It's sad that this book divides us more than it unites us when the point of it is to bring us together and to renew our commitment to the mission of Christ. Let me remind you of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 2. We're almost finished. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge right here, if I crack the code, if I figure out the secret sauce, If I get everything in the book of Revelation right, but have not love, I'm nothing. Do you want to know who's a big zero in God's perspective? Someone who gets every prophetical thing right, but doesn't get love right. And here's why. Prophecy is going to be fulfilled. Love will be forever. Our unity is not in 
our interpretation of the book of Revelation. Our unity is in the love of Jesus and the mission we've been called to. Can I get an amen? amen. Let's not forget that, faith family. This book is intended for us to know. Okay, I'm not intimidated. This book is intended for us to see. It's a picture book. Yay! Thirdly, it's intended to direct your life, to be applicable, to relate to everyday life. And number four, this book, the book of Revelation, is all about Jesus. And all my Berean peeps said, we knew it was coming. <laughs> but it is, because the whole Bible's about Jesus. The whole Bible story is the gospel story, and it's not new when you come to the book of Revelation. It's not like God was like, you know, I gave them all that Jesus gospel stuff, and, you know, we need to really end this Bible with a punch. Lord of the Rings, here we go. No, that's not what he's doing. It's the same gospel, the same point of the story. Look at how the book starts. Verse 1, the revelation of, say it. Jesus Christ, who's the book about? Get more excited or I'll kick you. Who's the champion of the battle? Jesus Christ, who's the main character of the story? Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus, not dragons, not beasts, not horsemen. It's about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Worshiping Jesus and loving Jesus and persevering in our faith for the glory of Jesus. You are going to see as we go throughout this book that Jesus is, in the Revelation, our conquering Savior. He is the one that defeated death, the one that is worthy to open the scrolls, the one who is worthy of our praise. You will see Jesus in the book of Revelation as our cosmic ruler. Christian, don't give up, don't quit. Why? Because Jesus is not just going to reign someday. He's reigning today. And when you peel back the curtain and you see him seated on the throne, it's going to encourage you to keep going because he's in control. And Revelation is going to show you Jesus as our coming king. You keep saying, on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. And one day that prayer will be answered. Verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. Faith family, if you love Jesus, you're going to love the book of Revelation. Because it's a revelation of who? Jesus Christ. So will you join me? these next few weeks? Will you join me the next few weeks as we walk through the book of Revelation? Not in order to learn about the end times, but to learn about the one who reigns for all time. Not to fill our heads with charts, but to fix our eyes on Christ because my dear friend, our sovereign God did not give us the book of Revelation to cry wolf. He gave us the book to behold the Lamb. The Lamb slain. The Lamb victorious 
over the grave. The Lamb who this very day is seated on the throne. And to Him belongs all power and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, thank you in advance for what you're going to do in our life as we study this book. Thank you for giving us this book to know, to see, to apply, and to have our relationship with Jesus grow deeper and deeper and deeper, that we would be conformed into his image. God, I just pray that each and every one of us right now would just have a moment of surrender and sacrifice to just say, God, here I am. Would this be the beginning of a journey of seeing my life transformed by the power of the gospel that's in the book of Revelation? God, would you stir me up to faithful obedience? Would you increase my worship? Give me a glimpse of where my hope is really found. Renew my passion for the mission. All these things, would, would we, God, just be broken before you to say, use this word in our life to change us. I'm thankful for how you're going to work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Faith family.